0: Templeton Emerging Markets Investment Trust's long-standing and well-regarded manager Mark Mobius stood aside in 2015, after which it was run successfully by Carlos Hardenberg until March 2018. Since then, it's been run by Chetan Segal, and in September 2018, he was joined by today's guest, Andrew Ness, as co-manager. Andrew, you and Chet and Seagal took over the management of Templeton Emerging Markets Investment Trust relatively recently in 2018. So have you made any changes to the way it's run?
1: Uh, Thank you. Chetan has actually been managing the emerging market strategy at Franklin Templeton, and and that includes Temit, since September 2015. So he was co-manager with Carlos, um, Carlos being lead manager, and I I did join him in September 2018. So it was very much a portfolio that Chetan had ownership of when I joined. The portfolio was in good shape. Um, it had been performing well. Um, the the key building blocks that, that, that we seek were there. There was a, a good level of diversification. There was high conviction expressed in, in, in a lot of good quality names. Um, the majority of the portfolio risk was at the individual company level and our business is all about um, building portfolios from the bottom up. So we have an extensive um, um, group of analysts across 16 countries um, whose sole focus is to identify identify good quality mispriced businesses. So the portfolio was really in, in good condition and performing well, as I said, when, when I when I joined Chaitan in September that year.
0: Okay. Now, you favour companies whose shares are trading at a discount to their intrinsic worth. Um, but how do you establish that? this is the case? And would you describe yourself as value investors?
1: Good good, good question. So um, we we believe that the market misprices the long-term economic value creation of companies. And it does so for a variety of reasons. There's lots of market noise. um, There's a short-term focus behaviour of lots of market participants. And there's also information gaps. And I kind of hinted before, but having people on the ground in these economies helps us address lots of that, where um, those information gaps can be filled by having analysts. who who speak the local language they they know the local customs and culture and they can form good working relationships with uh, the management of the companies that we invest in so through patient bottom up fundamental research we seek to identify these companies um, and our intrinsic valuation framework it's very much based on a holistic definition of of valuation Um, I think people associate value investing with statistically cheap stocks or, or those stocks on low PEs or low price to book multiples. Um, but our, our, our interpretation of value is a company trades for less than it's worth. Um, so we prefer then not to be defined by labels. So you ask me if a value investor, you know, ultimately what we're doing, we're looking for businesses with growth and quality characteristics, but not at any price. And I think that's the important thing to emphasise. So we think about value, but not being the statistically cheap nature of stocks, but businesses that the market's mispricing in a longer term perspective
0: how do you avoid falling into value traps and have you ever got this wrong?
1: you um, get plenty wrong and I think it's part of the learning agenda of all, all portfolio managers that um, invariably you're dealing with uncertain outcomes and, and predicting future outcomes which is fraught with risk so we do get things wrong yes, I think how one responds to getting things wrong is important and I think there are always learnings um, to, 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 to be had. In terms of the avoiding, avoiding value traps we look at things, a qualitative Aspects such as corporate governance, um, the quality of management, I think they're critical in determining the overall attractiveness of a business. And that sits alongside a real thorough analysis of the business model. We need to understand the competitive landscape that the company is operating in. And that really helps us, we think, avoid value traps we've made mistakes, we'll make mistakes in the future. But as I said earlier, I think the main point is to learn from those mistakes, review what went wrong, and ultimately, you know, use that information to make better decisions going forward.
0: Templeton Emerging Markets Investment Trust isn't labelled or marketed as an ethical fund, but you integrate environmental, social and governance factors into your investment process. How do you do this and what do you focus on in particular?
1: Yeah, we, we certainly do. And one of our core beliefs is that we're responsible stewards of our clients' capital. Um, and I think stewardship's an important concept to us because it represents what I believe uh, active investing is about. It's not simply just trying to beat benchmarks, but we are trusted by our clients to look after those assets. And at some point in the future, we'll return those assets to our clients. And our ambition should be that we return those assets in better condition than when we received them. So that's, that's how we define stewardship. Is stewardship is Influences how we act as investors, it's how we engage with our clients and how we behave as a business. And in terms of how we act as investors, one aspect of stewardship is integrating environmental, social and governance factors into our investment work. And that's because these factors can increasingly have an impact on the corporate fundamentals. They can impact revenues, they can impact cost, they can impact reputation and cost of capital and ultimately valuation. And these need to be integrated into an investment approach. Um, we focus on ultimately what's relevant for the specific company. And I, I, as, you, as you'll as you be aware, there there are issues and stakeholder challenges facing all companies and all geographies. Um, our analysts and portfolio managers work hard to identify the most material aspects of that stakeholder challenge and then engage with the corporates um, in trying to either improve performance, um, improve disclosure or improve governance structure. Obviously, there's a huge emphasis in governance because we found that companies that are typically governed, well managed, with clear alignment of interest between management and minority investors, they tend to get the other things right. So the social environmental aspects of their, 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 their business are typically better managed than those companies with less, um, less quality governance structures.
0: Now, the trust's outperformed its benchmark over the past year. What? in particular help to drive his performance and do you think you can outperform the benchmark again this year?
1: <laughs> Great question. Um, in terms of outperformance, um, the beauty of, of what we do, we we ensure that our, our portfolio, that, that Tema is, is driven by the individual stock choices that we make. So when we have a strong performance year like we've enjoyed over, over recent years for our clients and last year in particular, it can all be explained by the quality of our stock selection. So it's very much stock selection that drove the, the relative outperformance last year and if you look at the portfolio the main positive contributors were names like um, Brilliance China Automotive which is BMW's joint venture partner in mainland China where um, the, the Chinese consumers are no different than URI that as they've become more affluent and increased their wealth that there's a premiumization story and they're upgrading the, the consumption patterns and, and moving from perhaps a local manufactured car, a local branded car to BMW is part of that premiumization theme. and Elsewhere we own the the Taiwanese semiconductor manufacturing which is the world's leading foundry that's providing all the chips that we require to become a more integrated digital world Um, an interesting business called ICI Bank in India, it's one of India's leading retail banks and we see continued growth and demand for their retail products and the bank is particularly pursuing a a digital strategy where it's seeking to um, improve the quality it's offering at the same time moving from offline to online Online channels, as more and more your know, credit activity in India is taking place through to the digital network. Um, other names like Nasper's, which is a, a really interesting company. Nasper's is a South African business that originally grew out of a media, a print media and television business, and over the years made a number of investments in internet-based um, areas. Um, they, 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 they struck a gold mine with their investment in Ten Cent, which is the the very large you know gaming and social media platform in China um, and they're one of the largest shareholders in that business and the success of that has allowed them to invest in other areas of, of digital disruption so they've got an interesting classified business um, food delivery and payment solutions um, and again that that was that business performed very well last year and then finally our, our clients in the fund did well by owning um, Samsung Electronics which is um, the Korean electronics giant whose main business is uh, the, the memory manufacturing where they're our global leader in the memory that we all consume through our various digital products whether we think the trust will outperform this year. Predicting this year's relative performance is impossible. But from our perspective, the portfolio is positioned well. Um, as I mentioned before, it's, it's suitably diversified. The portfolio risk reflects the, the individual stock risks and opportunities that we see. The characteristics relative to the index are attractive. So we're able to put the portfolio together to offer higher quality characteristics than the underlying universe. So our return on assets and return on equity, you know, these are key indicators. Indicators of the return potential of, of companies, they're superior to the, the, the underlying index. The growth potential, so or growth expectations for earnings is higher than what one would expect from simply buying the index uh, and yet the, the, the secret sauce as I call it, the beauty of what we do is when we put that together we're not paying a significant premium to the index in fact if you look at our portfolio in average terms um, the average PE and average you know, price to cash flow is at a discount to the index. So whilst I'm not prepared to predict the future, I think, um, we're looking into 2020 from a very good position.
0: You mentioned some Chinese names and um, Templeton Emerging Markets Investment Trust has over a quarter of its assets in China and significant exposure to a number of other Asian markets. So to what extent has the coronavirus so far Affected your holdings, and you know what effects do you expect it to have?
1: Um, first thing to say that the impact of the virus is still evolving, mm. and we won't know the full impact um, until we can understand extent and severity of the virus. So we're dealing with a, a very uncertain environment. But in these situations, our analysts are staying very close to the companies, so we're getting regular updates: whether factories are open, um, whether you know supply chains are working, whether staff are able to get to their working location. So these are I think, again, it's helpful to have um, analysts and portfolio managers on the ground in China. Um, we've got a, a large team based in Shanghai that give us effectively a daily update on progress. Uh, and, and recent news flow coming through seems to be things seem to be improving, which is great news from a from a social perspective, obviously. Um, in terms of how we deal with that in the portfolio is that we, we do live in a world of, of persistent uncertainty. So things are always uncertain. And the best way to protect our client interests is through, you know, Ample and sufficient diversification of the portfolio, um, a focus for quality businesses and management teams um, that we can believe in and, and trust to implement their strategy. And I think having a portfolio of those characteristics helps us navigate the, the uncertain period that we're, that we're currently going through um, with the outbreak of this virus. In addition I think the long term structural case for emerging markets that we've been sharing with clients in, in, in recent times is still very much intact and that talks to um, the changing nature of the policy environment where we think these economies are, are better governed, they're better managed so um, we think there's, there's less risk from um, economic volatility that we used to see in this asset class. Um, we think the drivers of, of demand in these economies continues to evolve and we're moving away from the the low cost manufacturing and export based model to one that's more driven by domestic consumption and technology and then finally the 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 one of the Key themes in, in Temet today is that, um, many companies and countries in emerging markets, they're able to leapfrog the traditional development path that we saw in the more developed economies through innovation and technology. And again, whilst there'll be short-term challenges because of the, the economic consequences of this virus, we think those trends are, are very much secular in nature and, and should persist as we eventually recover from this, this outbreak.
0: But have you made any um portfolio adjustments in response to v virus
1: no, nothing significant. Mm. The guidance that we're we're sharing with our our uh, analysts is if we see obvious areas of of big dislocation between the market price of mm. a company. Or scenario and our stress scenario of, of how this company is likely to be impacted by this this outbreak. If there's a, a very clear um, valuation opportunity then we're prepared to act but we're patient-considered long-term investors um, we're not short-term speculators or traders so whilst there's still a high level of uncertainty we don't think it's in our clients to be too ambitious with our trading today.
0: And obviously the other issue affecting China is the trade war, Trade tend- with the US. I mean, how exposed are the companies and sectors you, inv- you invest in to, to the effects of this?
1: Um, it varies greatly from company to company, and it's often difficult to fully quantify. As you could imagine, there's lots of tweeting headlines that we mm-hmm. need to, you know, take into account, but ultimately then look at the, the ultimate real economic impact and consequence. And, that, and that's sometimes hard to do. Some of our technology holdings were impacted by specific pressures put on the likes of Huawei, where, um, we do invest in the supply chain that provide components. Um, they're a, uh, they're a provider of uh, mobile phone handsets, but also network technologies. And there's some short-term headwinds as there was uncertainty about the outlook for that business. But much more important than whether Huawei you know survives as a business or not, and at this point in time it seems to be surviving, is whether the underlying demand for what Huawei manufacture is intact. Now, in the extreme scenario that Huawei went out of business, particularly on the handset component business, um, we feel that there would be a number of competitors stepping into that gap. So our analysis is much more concerned about the long-term demand for increasingly sophisticated smartphones and all the various value-added features that, that, that consumers demand of them rather than Huawei specifically and that's how we've very much faced that, that particular risk.
0: Okay, um, coronavirus and trade war aside, what would you say are the other main risks um, to what you invest in at the moment?
1: Um, I would say top-down risks, the, the macro, you know, issues, um, political risks, regulatory intervention. Um, these are always, um, seen as sources of risk to our strategy. So, as I mentioned earlier, um, our, our whole premise of Temit is to, is to buy individual companies and build up the portfolio from a bottom-up perspective. Um, so we don't see, um, top-down factors like macroeconomics and politics mm. as a source of return for our clients. These are sources of risk. So we seek hard to Ensure that we are sufficiently diversified um, in those types of top-down issues, and that means ensuring that we don't have too many of our companies in the one sector or the one country, where there may be you know, some of these, you know, exogenous shocks from time to time.
0: Um, I suppose on that note, I mean, when selecting holdings, to what extent do you consider a company's own merits, and to what extent do you consider sector, geographical, economic considerations?
1: a uh, good question we, we we as I mentioned earlier we're, we are bottom up obsessors, so we do look at companies but companies clearly don't operate in a vacuum so a, a large chunk of our analysis is understanding the competitive dynamics of a particular firm so for that we do need to do some industry assessment you know it, it, what's the total addressable market of this industry and um, how does that outlook expect to, to evolve going forward what are the sustainable competitive advantages of this business are we seeing you know, new entrants come in and pressure margins and sales so absolutely we, we need to have a, a reference of the attraction of the industries these companies operate but we're still very much focused on the, the individual bottom up opportunity and then from a country perspective um, again we, we clearly need to be aware of potential top down risks and that's And that's not to try and exploit them as opportunities, but to ensure that our our very strong stock-level conviction isn't suddenly jeopardised by some unintended top-down factor that can happen from time to time, certainly in our part of the world.
0: So, following on from that and looking at your geographic allocation, the Trust has less than 10% of its assets in India, but India's a major developing economy. So, you know, what are the reasons for this?
1: And it's largely valuation based to some extent. You know, India is a a very large market. There's there's considerable long term growth opportunities across a range of a range of sectors. But um, in terms of valuation, um, the market trades on a price earnings multiple, which was one of our industry ratios that we use in terms of comparative valuations and its price earnings multiple in the next 12 months is just under 19 times earnings. Um, That's a significant premium to the emerging market asset class that trades between 12 and 13 times earnings on a 12-month forward basis, but also at a premium to India's long-term history. I think if you look at in the last 15 years, the market's traded around about 16 times. So there are many Indian businesses that we like, um, but not at any price. And I think that reflects our valuation discipline that's been a, a long-held characteristic of, of Temit strategy.
0: Uh, turning to another issue, um, I suppose maybe affects India and other places, I mean, how easy is it to capture Indian economic growth um, and I suppose, you know, Indian potential hmm. via listed equities?
1: India is probably one of the easier market in that sense so if you look at the Indian economy you know almost 60% of the economy is driven by the consumer demand and consumption and if we look at the Indian stock market we've got lots of consumer opportunities to invest in however I'll go back to my earlier comment in terms of valuation just to give you a flavour of some of the multiples that we're dealing with Asian Paints which is the leading paint company in the marketplace that trades at 83 times earnings Titan Industry one of the leading jewellery companies it's a retail business um, that trades at seventy nine times earnings. Um, Hindustan Unilever, which is the Indian subsidiary of of the of UK's Unilever, that trades over seventy times earnings as well. So whilst the Indian economy is represented in the stock market, it's typically done at, at very high multiples. We think there's opportunities in India um, for long term growth in in other areas of the market that we don't necessarily have to pay a significant premium for.
0: A market in which you are overweight relative to MSCI Emerging Markets Index is South Korea. So, um, you know, lots of interest here.
1: Um, a, a, quite a range of companies, actually. And um, again, as a reminder, our aggregate Korean position is a reflection of finding lots of good ideas um, from a bottom-up perspective in Korea. So, we can find a large number of companies that have got we believe sustainable earnings power that are trading at a discount to their intrinsic worth, or main exposure is to Samsung Electronics as I mentioned earlier. It's certainly a leader in its respective field um, We also like other businesses uh, a company called Naver that's the leading search engine in Korea um, and its search engine relationships with um, uh, retailers is allowing it to become a, a leading player in the growing e-commerce industry in South Korea and again I think that's, that's a very exciting name. Um, uh, Korea is going through uh, quite a period of reform actually. It's been encouraged by the the new government. Um, we're seeing a lot of established business practices being challenged. Um, Korea has had a, a long history of 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 not being the most transparent corporate environment and we're seeing positive change there. Um, the government's introducing new stewardship codes for domestic investors um, to start acting as, as more involved stewards on their clients' behalf which is great news. That's leading to much more engagement with some of the family controlled businesses known as chaebols in Korea and, and part of that cable reform is impacting businesses like LG Corp which is a a company that we own Um, your listeners may be aware of them through LG Electronics one of the largest most successful manufacturers of of -of state-of-the-art televisions Um, but the the holding company also owns a number of other really attractive businesses LG Chemicals is at the forefront of um, electric vehicle battery supply LG um, H&H is one of the leading cosmetic companies in Korea and uh, you, you may not be aware, of, but the, the the Korean cosmetic industry is very influential across Asia as an as an aspirational premium product and premium brand. that Particularly in China, many many users there um, flock to to these Korean cosmetic products um, because of their brand attraction. Um, so LG Corp is um, is a what was a traditional chaebol holding company, um, very much run for the group, but in an engagement with the company over the years, um, we're now seeing a move to becoming. Much more transparent they're disposing of non-core assets um, they're looking to distribute more of the dividends that they receive from their various subsidiary companies in a more consistent uh, fashion to investors like ourselves so i think that's a, that's a great example of the the change and reform that's taking place in korea today
0: okay um on the flip side i mean what risks do um south korean companies um such as the ones you invest in face and you know what makes them uh, still worth holding
1: um, I think there's, there's always risks from the Korean economy. It's one of the more mature economies in, in Asia, already gone through a lot of development. So we don't typically see the, the low levels of penetration in, in many areas that we see in other emerging economies. So I think we've got to, um, ensure that we're not expecting too much growth coming from that marketplace. Um, we're obviously, um, we've seen political standoff with Japan, um, over recent years and that's created tension and, and that tension can often have economic consequences, whilst we've got no insight as to how that relationship evolves. Because as as you may be aware, it's, it goes back to World War Two and and what happened between the two countries back then. But going forward, we think that both countries have a, a high level of interdependence. Um, Korea consumes lots of raw materials for its industry that come from Japan, and vice versa. Japanese electronics industry use a lot of the component parts that come from Korea. Beyond that, there's very strong tourist links between the two countries, that Korea is one of the biggest tourist destinations for the Japanese and vice versa. So whilst I think in the short term, the scope for a noisy relationship, I think economic realities and and logic um, should prevail over the longer term.
0: A considerable overweight relative to MSCI Emerging Markets Index is Russia. Um, I mean, this is considered, let's say, to be quite a high risk market. So, So what's the attraction here?
1: again i 'll go to the staple answer that we find lots of really interesting companies in Russia. I, I think it also helps when we put the Russian risk in context um there's there, there seems to be the market's focus on the political governance risk and, and we don 't typically take take a view on that from from our perspective macroeconomic risks uh, in Russia are much less than we 'd see elsewhere and I think that the, the market's typically unaware that the the credit environment in russia you know the, the amount of debt issued is is, is much lower than other countries. Russia doesn't issue lots of government debt. Um, households are typically underlevered, so they don't have a lots of borrowings. Um, mortgages aren't a huge part of the credit economy. Um, so, when a country has low levels of debt, we think that's that's quite a good thing. So, it provides less volatility. When we look at the sort of fiscal policy environment, um, Russia runs a fiscal surplus, um, runs a current account surplus, which are good things again in a world where capital flows are uncertain. Uh, and there's lots of behind the scenes reform taking place in Russia that I think the market's unaware so that, that gives us confidence that the macroeconomic backdrop um, is is not going to provide high levels of volatility and going back to my, my earlier comments, um, we own a lot of Russian assets because individual business models. These would be companies like Lukoil, which we think is one of the world's better managed oil and gas companies and over the years we're seeing um, an increased distribution of of good cash flow to investors like ourselves and that comes back to us in both buybacks and increased dividends and we own a business called Yandex that that you could think of being a combination of the good bits of um, Google so it's a leading search engine in Russia, bits of Amazon because it's a leading e-commerce platform, Um, it's got the leading taxi business so the ride hailing and sharing business like Uber Uh, and we We think it's an exciting example of of Russian technology learning from some of the best parts of of some of the larger Chinese firms. And again that's a business that we own. And we also own Spurbank which is the leading bank in Russia. It controls almost 40% of system assets Um, and Russia from a banking perspective as I mentioned earlier is still deeply underpenetrated. We think it's a very well managed business. Management um, have got a, a good handle on the credit risks in their loan book and we think there's a long path ahead. Ahead of attractive growth that our investors can benefit from.
0: Okay, thank you, Andrew. A really interesting update on Templeton Emerging Markets Investment Trust and Chinese and Emerging Markets. That brings us to the end of today's interview, but see the website at investorschronicle.co.uk for more interviews of managers of emerging markets and other types of funds. Thank you for listening.